0: Amen. Wonderful, wonderful singing. Would you open your Bibles, please, to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter number 12. And when you found it, I know that you uh, perhaps feel like you've been up and down, up and down, up and down, but can we do it just a couple more times, or one more time at least anyways, as we honor God's Word. Hebrews chapter 12. We'll read the first four verses. and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. Father, we ask you to bless the reading of your word. These next few moments we pause. We need to hear from you. I pray right now, whatever's going on out there, in the world that we would be delivered from it, that we would see the hope that's in you, that we would rest in your presence and that we would take encourage take courage from your word. Lord, I pray right now if there's one here that's not saved, he or she would be saved before it's everlastingly too late. Those of us that are saved on our way to heaven may we be motivated. May we be encouraged, may we be edified this morning to serve you with a greater fervor. And Lord, most importantly, we want you to be glorified in and through us. Lord, I always ask you because I desperately need you this morning. Help me articulate the truths you have given me. I need you, Father, in Jesus' name. And amen. Amen. Thank you. May be seated. You know, life is very hard. We've exhausted ourselves trying to make life easy. Have you ever thought about that? Many times, the things that we try to do to make life easier works out to be more work and more difficult. Yet in all the attempts that we try to make things easier, things get harder. I was riding in the vehicle with my dad this past week and he was telling me about something that a friend had shared with him. And I found it online. It's called Paul Harvey's Letter to His Grandchildren. Listen to this. Paul Harvey wrote this to his grandchildren. We tried so hard to make things better for our kids that we made them worse. For my grandchildren, I'd like better. I'd really like for them to know about hand me down clothes and homemade ice cream and leftover meatloaf sandwiches. I really would. I hope you learn humility by being humiliated and that you learn honesty by being cheated. I hope you learn to make your own bed and mow the lawn and wash the car. And I really hope nobody gives you a brand new car when you're 16. It will be good if at least one time you can see puppies born and your old dog put to sleep. I hope you get a black eye fighting for something you believe in. I hope you have to share a bedroom with your younger brother or sister, and it's all right if you have to draw a line down the middle of the room, but when he wants to crawl under the covers with you because he's scared, I hope you let him. When you want to see a movie and your little brother or sister wants to tag along, I hope you let him go. I hope you have to walk uphill to school with your friends and that you live in a town where you can do it safely. On rainy days when you have to catch a ride, I hope you don't ask the driver to drop you off two blocks away so you won't be seen riding with someone as uncool as your mom. If you want a slingshot, I hope your dad teaches you how to make one instead of buying one. I hope you learn to dig in the dirt and read books. When you learn to use computers, I hope you learn also to add and subtract in your head. I hope you get teased by your friends when you have your first crush on a boy or a girl and when you talk back to your mother that you learn what ivory soap tastes like. <laughs> May you skin your knee climbing a mountain, burn your hand on a stove, and stick your tongue on a frozen flagpole. I don't care if you try a beer once, but I hope you don't like it. And if a friend offers you dope or a joint, I hope you realize he or she is not your friend. I sure hope you make time to sit on the porch with your grandma and grandpa and go fishing with your uncle. I hope your mother punishes you when you throw a baseball through your neighbor's window and that she hugs and kisses you at Christmas time when you give her a plaster mold of your hand. These things I wish for you. Tough times and disappointment. Hard work and happiness. To me, it's the only way to appreciate life. Being a Christian is not easy. You know, Christians suffer the same problems that non-Christians don't suffer. There are many Christians right now suffering cancer just like those who are non-believers. There are many Christians suffering health problems and family problems and financial problems and relational problems. And you know, along the way, some Christians have asked, what's the use What's the use that I continue to go to church? You know, I've observed Christians that have had so many outside obligations, they didn't have time to do anything to the Lord, and they told me they were burned out on church. In my mind, I'm thinking one, two, maybe at the most three hours a week burns you out. And somehow it's God's fault. The problem is, church, is that we're not running the race properly. Oh, we have crowds and we have services and we are emotionally touched. But when it comes to outside these four walls, we're not running well. We're not running well. We like to think that we're tough and that we have tough love. Yet, in the midst of it all, we're a bunch of spiritual wimps. We've taken too many shortcuts. I will never forget. Otto Koning was a missionary to Papua New Guinea. and there were very large poisonous snakes there. And there were they had a church service and <laughs> some of the guys didn't come to church service, and they were walking along the path and on the path, they stirred up I think it was a black mom or one of those snakes, and one of those highly venomous snakes bit one of the men, and he died. And you got to know Otto Koenig. He preached here. He was older when he preached here. But back in the day, he was very, very bold. And he convinced the whole village that they got, that man got bit by a snake because he wasn't in church when he was supposed to be at church. <laughs> and they were scared to death. Church, can I tell you something? We fear our government, but we lost our fear for God. The Bible nowhere says that The beginning of wisdom is the fear of government. The Bible nowhere says that the beginning of knowledge is the fear of your employer. Or your fear of what your peers might think. We're not running well. We're not running well. As a matter of fact, prior to COVID and we'll take COVID out... Because COVID gets the blame for a lot of things. A lot of people just don't want to be faithful to God and they blame it on COVID. Prior to COVID, the Southern Baptist Convention baptized in the two years preceding COVID, baptized fewer converts than the history of the Southern Baptist Church. And we want to blame the culture. We want to blame everything. I'll tell you, we're not running well. We're not running well. The the writer of Hebrews knows this. He knows that there's the tendency, because life is tough, that we will quit. That we'll throw in the towel. We'll say, it's not worth getting up on Sunday morning. After all, I have to get up early throughout the week. It's not worth standing before an a class and teaching. It's not worth driving that van. It's not worth any of these things because I don't see these wonderful results happening. The writer never says, you're in, I are in charge of the results. It's just how we run the race. Church, we're taking too many shortcuts. And the shortcuts don't work. Have you been through McDonald's drive-thru lately? You could go sit down at a restaurant and eat quicker than you can get through the drive-thru. We are so in a hurry to do so much stuff, we cannot sustain the pace. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, we can't maintain the pace. And so we take shortcuts, and those shortcuts tend to cost us dearly. So how are we instructed to run this race? Notice verse 12, therefore. Therefore begins a new thought, but it ties back to the old thought. What was the thought? Look at verse 40 of chapter 11. He says, God having provided something better for us, That they should not be made perfect apart from us. He's just given this list of people that went through horrible things. They were sawn in two. They were killed for their testimony and their faith in Christ. And they never realized the promise. And he makes this statement. Because of them. And they're not going to be made perfect without us. Their completion is us. What they started has been passed down generation, generation, generation to us. And by us, our running, and our running with endurance, and our running the way God wants us to run, they will be made complete. And he says, therefore, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. All of these men and women he just talked about in the Hero Hall of Fame of Faith in uh, chapter 11, he says, is our cloud of witnesses. I don't know, but I have to suspect that amongst that cloud of witnesses are our loved ones that have gone on. Can I prove it scripturally? No. But they're there. And it's like they're in the arena of heaven looking down on us as we run. And they're cheering us on. And they're telling us don't quit, don't give up. It's supposed to be hard. I preached years ago about an easy button and someone gave me an easy button. And I was pushing it and said, that was easy. And we want that easy button. We want want life to be easy. We don't want to struggle. We don't want to have to fight for our faith. We don't want to have to to go through difficulties. But listen, all of that is going to happen whether you want it to or not. It's called life. And to get to heaven, you've got to die. Or... The Lord will come back. That'd be great with me. Clean up this mess. But we have to die. And we read these things that people put out that if you believe in this, God will give you everything your heart desires. It's not true. It's not true. No matter how hard I tried, I wanted to be six foot three. I could buy platform shoes. I can do all that, but it's not going to change my height. And all around the land today, and this next weekend and the fo- weekends following, when they have the graduation ceremonies, people will get up and they'll lie to the kids' faces. You can be anything you want to be. That's a lie. I will never be an NBA prospect. I don't care much about basketball, so don't worry about it. But it's an extreme. You understand what I'm saying. It's a lie. And we have not taught the younger generation how to run because we and ourselves are not running the way we should. I found this out. You find, might find this hard to believe, but I used to run a lot. When I came home from the Army, we ran about eight, five to eight miles a day, five, six days a week. Every morning we'd be up running. We ran a lot. The most I ever run in one time was 21 miles without stopping. I was building up to run a marathon. Never did run the marathon. But I'll tell you, the very first race I ran in was a disaster. I got up at the front of the line, and I thought, I'm going to do this. And the gun went off, and we took off, and I was neck and neck with them. But you know what? About the time I got to the half mile mark, I had side stitches, I couldn't breathe and I wondered what was going on. And I looked down and they were running like a 5.30 pace. And I realized that I wasn't built for a 5.30 pace. And by the time the end of that race was over to try to save whatever dignity I had left, I passed a little old lady in a chute, right at the ending chute. I got right in front of her. And then needed oxygen afterwards. I learned a lesson about it matters how you run. It matters how you run. We've got this great cloud of witnesses that surrounds us, that encourages us, that says, listen, you can do this. I mean, these people gave their lives. They were sawn in two. They were beaten. They did without. They were destitute of daily needs, the Bible says, of whom the world is not worthy. And we get upset because someone posts something negative on Facebook about us. Really? We know nothing about suffering. A few years ago, remember when I was growing up, there was a wrestler called Jesse the Body Ventura. How many of you guys watched wrestling? Oh, yeah, you did. I know you did. And then he became governor. And they changed his his name from Jesse the Body to Jesse the Mind. And one time in a public forum, he said Christians are weak and they need God because they're weak. And the whole Christian Place blew up. People were all upset about it. People they were interviewing people on news about what he said. But what he said was true. The apostle Paul said, For when I am weak, then I'm strong because it's your strength. We're all weak. He just said the truth. I need God. Everything he said was true. But we get so bent out of shape because we don't know how to run with endurance. So if we're going to run with endurance, there are a couple of things that we have to do. First of all, we have to remove the hindrances. Notice what he says here. We're surrounded with a great cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. There are two things in this this phrase. First of all, there's the weight. The weight is not necessarily sin, but it's things that hinder us from running. i got a couple examples. Let me just give you some weight. What really is a weight? Well, first of all, I think a weight is not necessary. Why is it not necessary? Because he says you can shed it. You should shed it. So you don't need it. It's not necessary. So what is? what are some examples of the weight that holds us back? First of all, the baggage of the world. The baggage of the world. One of the things that hinders our spiritual running and our... Our spiritual endurance is the unnecessary baggage of the world. Listen, we have no time for God in the land we live. We have no time, no time for God. We have time to do whatever we want to do. We have time to read the newspaper. We have time to read our books. We have time to read uh, Facebook and scroll through and watch TikTok all day long. We have time to do that. But we have no time for God and being in His Word. Yet we're being bombarded with the baggage of the world. We're being torn, ravished. The churches are being ravished, split down the middle politically, Democrat, Republican. Are you in politics? We're doing all this and we're exhausted because of it spiritually. We have no time for God. We're uh, filling our minds with all of the baggage of the world. And then we blame God because we're exhausted. It's God's fault. I can't go to church. I'm exhausted. I am exhausted. Well, did you ever stop and think you're exhausted because of the garbage, the baggage of the world that God did not intend for you to bear? It's a weight, it drags us back. Throw it away. The reason you're exhausted is you're dragging the baggage of the world. And God didn't design you to carry the burdens of the baggage of the world. As a matter of fact, if you're a friend of the world, you're at enmity with God. That's what the Word of God says. I am a grace preacher. And I believe in grace. But too many people are using grace for an excuse. They're straddling the fence, one foot in grace, one foot in church, one foot in the world. And it's called divided allegiance. That's what it means to be worldly. Worldly is not because you wear ripped jeans and have your ears pierced and have uh, tattoos. That's not worldly. Worldliness is, is your attention is divided between God and the world. Your allegiance is divided between God and the world. Another example of a hindrance that keeps us from running well is the burden of materialism. Materialism. Thinking our lives will be better if we just have one more thing. If I just get the next iPhone, if I just get this, if I just get this and that and the other, it will make my life better. If I just had a little more, I wouldn't have to trust God. If I had a little bit more money, I could relax, I could could just... Be comfortable. Luke chapter 12 and verse 15, the scripture says, And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. I heard a story of the man who <clears throat> wanted really bad to buy a bass boat. There's nothing wrong with a bass boats. You own a bass boat, I'm not preaching about you, so don't get after me. I'm telling you a true story gentleman decided he wanted a bass boat. And to pay for this bass boat, he was going to have to work overtime. So he started taking on more work and he worked overtime, which took him out of church. Then when he had enough to buy the bass boat, the weekends he wasn't working, well, he has to use this bass boat because he's got a payment. So then it took him further out from church and before long, he was working all the time, he was fishing all the time, he wasn't spending time with his wife. And so now... He's lost his wife, he's lost his church family, he's lost his family, but he's got a bass boat. I think there's a country song about that somewhere. And I'll tell you this. I've never been with someone who's been through a divorce with their family that there wasn't scars. And I'm not picking on divorced people, I'm just telling you that there wasn't scars left over. The burden of materialism. When it gets its teeth in you, you can't have enough. And you got to do more so you can have this stuff. And kids are just miniature adults. We like to look at kids. We get on Christmas, man. They always crack me up. People will fight over these, go to spend stupid money on things. And the kid would play for it for two weeks. Some kids even played for it on Christmas morning. They played with a wrapping paper to box more than they would the toy that they got them they had to have. But we do the same thing as adults, it just costs a lot more. It's a proven fact. It's proven fact that clutter has a psychological and emotional effect on the soul. There is a psychological condition called hoarder it is a psychological condition. Now, I'm not talking. I'm not t- you, husbands and wives. Now, I'm not starting a fight this morning. I'll rise up here. It has psychological and emotional effects on the soul. Have you seen that show, Hoarders? Has anybody ever watched that show? Have you seen the people that cannot let go of things that are stupid, things that are junk? The reason they can't let go is because it's psychological. And listen to me. Watch this. Please listen to me. They are getting their value and their worth as a human being from the things that they have. Because it might be more or it might be nicer than these people have. Your value and your worth is not from the things that you own. Because I will tell you when you die, you're going to leave it all. And your kids are going to fight over it. And they're not going to talk to each other. You say, my kids would never do that. I'm just telling you, when there's money involved, it changes everything. The best piece of advice I can give you parents is before you die, have a will and put specifically what you want. If you don't, your kids are going to be a wreck. Or you can have nothing and not worry about it. The burden of materialism will keep you from running you got to have all this stuff and then all this stuff takes all your time because you got to take care of it. And you get overwhelmed. You go in your garage and you, I, I look in my garage and I think, I know I need to clean but I don't know where to start. Anybody else overwhelmed? I, I, don't know, I don't know how to start. But I don't want someone else to come in here because they might throw this away because I might need that six years and three days from today. <laughs> and it's $1.99. Today's economy. Then it might be two ninety nine. Another example is the burden of disconnect from relationships. We live in a culture of divisiveness. We're divided. We all have our opinion. We're divided over politics. We're divided over denominations. Likes and dislikes. Our disconnect from relationship has an impact on our running. Why? Because God created no one. He said it is not, listen to me, it is not good for man to be alone. You and I were created for fellowship. Church is important because we encourage or we should encourage each other. We should encourage each other. And there is a burden of disconnect from relationships. You see it all the time. These little devices right here have taken over our lives. Oh, no, they don't. I know my role. That's baloney. On more than one occasion, I have to honk the horn at somebody sitting in front of the red light because we can't even set a red light without getting on our phones. It's called the fear of missing out, FOMO. They They had to teach me this. These millennials taught me this. There's an actual thing called fear of missing out. I'm like, what? Yeah. They might miss a like or a share. This is real. I found this out how much this thing has control over me. When I drove five miles away from my home only to realize I didn't have my phone, I turned around and went back. I can't tell you when I've forgotten my Bible, when I've had to turn around and go back and get my Bible. I haven't. I haven't. I can't, I can't tell you that. Now, granted, when it comes church time, I bring my Bible, right? But when it comes to going to other places, I, 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 if I don't have my phone, i got to go. Somebody might need to get a hold of me. I don't know about you guys, but I've kind of been enjoying the times when I've been out of cell phone range and enjoying it. It's a burden. How about the burden of busyness? Another unnecessary burden or weight is busyness. You know, busyness can rob us of the joy that's of the here and now. It's a weight. It hinders our running. I learned a lesson I have, and I'm not, I'm, I'm saying this sincerely, I have a curse. I used to think it was a blessing and people say they wish they could do it, you don't. I have ADHD and when I'm in a group of people, I can literally hear three or four conversations going on at one time. And big crowds start to bother me because I'm in all these conversations and sometimes I'm not present in the conversation I'm having. And I'll never forget, I was making a, a broadcast up there one day. And I was watching the tape. This is when we had VHS tapes. And um, I was watching to make sure. And, you know, I, I, I thought I was more important than what it was. And then we got to hurry up and get this down to the, the TV station so they could put it on because, you know, the message. And I had a brother talking to me. And I wasn't listening to the brother. And the brother said, hey in a sense are you paying attention are you listening to me you're not paying attention and I wasn't and it was a wake up call see I thought I was so busy I didn't have time for my brother who was right there with me I was missing out of what was going on right there because I had this ministry thing which truth be told nobody was watching it and our schedules are full You are cursed right now sitting in church thinking about what you got to do this week. You're a slave to your calendar. You're a slave to your schedule. I am a slave to my schedule. All because we can't say no. We can't say no. And I'm telling you it's a burden that we were never meant to bear. We take on far too many things and it, it weighs us down so that we can't run the race. So that we can't endure. Busyness robs us of what's going on right here and right now. You know, I have never been on the bedside of someone dying and say, man, I spent too much time with my family. I wish I'd done more work. Are you kidding me? Never. But I have had men tell me, let me tell you something. Love your family because it's over like that. had a man tell me yesterday graduation, he said, I can't believe my daughter at a graduation party, my daughter's uh, graduating. And somebody was saying, oh, congratulations. He said, yeah, this is not pleasant for me because I feel like I've missed a lot. I've missed a lot. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> amen the burden of busyness I think that's the Lord telling me it's time to move on to the next one <laughs> those are just an example now listen to me these weights are not necessarily sin they're just something that hinders us from running and you and I have to have the wisdom of God to discern what we need in our lives and what we don't need in our lives I'm telling you this And I will say this, at the heart of most of it is pride. We feel if we let go because people identify us with this, if we let go of this identity and we start saying no and we're going to start spending time with the Lord and we're going to start spending time with our family and we let go of all these other things, then we're not going to be in control of things and we're not going to control our identity and we're not going to shape what people think about us. I'll be honest with you. Who cares what people think about you? Don't you care what God thinks about you more? Lay those those weights aside. Secondly, he says, lay aside the sin that so easily ensnares us. The, T-H-E is a definite article. It means one sin. He's talking about a specific sin. What has he been talking about? He's been talking about faith. So what is the sin? It's unbelief. There is a sin that will ensnare you like unbelief. Let me just illustrate this. When you violate the principle of God's Word, you know what that says? I don't care what you say, you believe in your heart. I don't care what you say. When you violate, you are saying, I don't believe God's Word, what it says. Well, there's... No, no, Stop. Stop the insanity. It's not. It's when you disobey God's word when you do opposite of what God's word says you are saying to God I don't believe it I don't believe it and that sin will ensnare you it's the one ensnaring sin it's impossible to run the race that God set before you with unbelief in your heart now I know that you believe in God for your uh, Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation, but do you believe for his daily needs? Do you believe for all the situations you're facing? Do you believe God? In this consumer-driven church, we have so much today. We have more money than we've ever had. We have better buildings than we have ever had. We have more people than we've ever had, but we don't have faith. And what we need more than the money, what we need more than the buildings, what we need more than all the people is we need faith in God. Faith in God. Faith is what we need to run the race that God set before us. I know what God's Word says, but don't but God. God. Don't but God. You are butting Him out. When you say but, I know what the Word of God says, but. Don't say the next phrase because the next phrase says, you do not believe what God says. So we're going to lay aside the weight and the sin that easily ensnares us. That sin will ensnare you. And then He says, this is how I want you to run. Run looking unto Jesus the author it means the initiator. The finisher means the one who completes. Looking unto Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. But you don't know what sister so-and-so did to me. You don't know what brother so-and-so did to me. Keep your eyes on Jesus and you won't worry what they did to you. You haven't strived for blood yet. That's what the writer says. Because he knows that each one of us are going to say, Well, you know, I know I'm supposed to keep my eyes on Jesus, but you just don't know the situation. He says, Tell me, have you striven for blood? Have you bled for the cause of Christ? Have you shared your blood? Well, don't tell me then, he says. Just do what he says. Just do what he says. The Word of God tells us in Colossians 3, verses 1 and following, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. For you died to those things on the earth. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, He is our life, appears in then you also will appear with Him in glory. Christ is our life. That's why we keep our eyes on Him. I was listening to uh, some uh, podcasts yesterday and these guys are are very good. And they have an... I mean, it's unbelievable the amount of people they've taken from unbelief in Christ and walked them through three years into being disciples who are now walking people through three years. And He said this. He said, We understand that Christ said for us to make followers, not scholars. He said too many people are shackled with the shekel. He said everybody's worried, well, how much is a shekel? And he said it has nothing to do with their life out there in the world. And I love that. Too many people are shackled with the shekel. They want to know all these little details that don't amount to anything that doesn't cause you to live for Christ. Christ we got to keep our eyes on Jesus. We need followers, not scholars. We don't need people arguing on Twitter over what the Bible says. We need people obeying what the Word of God says in their everyday life. Amen. That's what we need. We need a church full of believers who will keep their eyes on Jesus and they say, I'm going to run with endurance. I'm not going to take my eyes off Christ. I'm not going to get sidetracked by all this other garbage. I'm going to keep my eyes on Him. I'm setting my affection on things above, not on the things above. On this earth. I'm going to keep my eyes on Him. Number two, I'm going to follow Him. I'm going to follow His example. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. The joy. The cross is joy for Him. He gladly went to the cross for you. He endured the cross for you and for me. Why? Because He loved us. Despising the shame. And he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And the writer says, Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. We are wearied and discouraged in our souls because we're not keeping our eyes on Jesus. We're not following Jesus. We're following what the world tells us to follow of Jesus. Not what Christ's word tells us to follow Jesus. By following Him, we keep from becoming discouraged. I want to say this quickly, and I'm on close. Five things. Number one, you have a race to run for God. God's the one who called you, He's the one who put you in the race. Run the race. Number two, you're responsible to God for your running. You're not responsible for the trophy at the end. You're responsible for how you run the race. Run with endurance. Lay aside the weight. Lay aside every sin. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Follow him. Follow him. Follow him. Number three, lay aside the weight and the sin of unbelief. Number four, follow the example of Jesus Christ. Keep your eyes on him. I would like to read this in closing. This poem is by Edgar Albert Guest. When things go wrong, as they sometimes will, when the road you're trudging seems up all uphill, when the funds are low and the debts are high, and you want to smile, but you have to sigh, when care is pressing you down a bit, rest if you must, but don't quit. Life is odd with its twists and turns, as every one of us sometime learns. And many a failure turns about when he might have won had he stuck it out. Don't give up, though the pace seems slow. You may succeed with another blow. Often the goal is nearer than. It seems to a faint and faltering man. Often the struggler has given up When he might have captured the victor's cup. And he learned too late when the night slipped down. How close he was to the golden crown. Success is failure turned inside out. The silver tint of the clouds of doubt. And you never can tell how close you are. It may be near when it seems so far. So stick to the fight when you're hardest hit. It's when things seem worst that you must not quit. Rest if you have to, but don't quit. Run the race that God has set before you. Because one day, you'll stand before God. You will give an account of how you ran that race. And there'll be nothing ever that you and I have experienced like hearing from our Savior. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Father, we love you. We praise you. We ask you for your blessing. I pray right now in our midst that you would speak to us. That we would turn from our apathy, from our lethargy. That we would acknowledge you. We would acknowledge your grace and all